Wowzer. I love romance, Sarah. That's all you need to know about that. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Fate of Mates, everybody. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. And we're going to get to the book that we um, that we are reading today. <laughs> I hope all of you all went out. We Did you know we drove the price up on this? I'm sure we did. Anyway, before we do this, though, I just want to say to everybody, um, I have a book coming out August 24th. Jen and Eric are like, you have to tell people. So <laughs> You do. Lead and end with it. That's Here I, I am. I'm just saying, I have a book coming out August 24th. It's called Bombshell. Um, it's about a Victorian girl gang in London and some hot stuff that happens between one of their members and a, a guy she's loved for a while. I read it last week, everybody. It's fucking amazing. Oh, that's really nice. Anyway, you can pre-order it now. It's out August 24th. There there will, of course, be a bombshell episode. Um, But I appreciate your patronage. (laughs) Anyway. Well done. (laughs) If you've ever wanted to be a patron of the arts, or whatever it is I do, (laughs) here's your shot. (laughs) And, oh, wait, no, but the reason why I was saying at the beginning is because if you order it signed from my local bookstore, Word in Brooklyn... It will come with a Fade of Mate sticker. Yeah. Which is fun. Everyone loves a Fade of Mate sticker. Uh, absolutely. And it'll be like this year's Fade of Mate sticker. Because yes. last one was yellow and last one the was book. yellow. Yeah. And that was sort of a surprise. Kelly we'll and Ben did that to, by themselves. Yeah, we'll but, have to talk to best friend Kelly and come up with a, you know, what's new this year. Fade of Mates 2021. Well, I'm sure there will be something else. And if you are the type of person who likes like a something else with your book, and it was really interesting because best friend Kelly and I actually were talking about this because um, it's kind of a common thing to encourage people to order from indie bookstores and then sometimes the stuff doesn't come and it's not yeah. great. But so I do really appreciate the extras because it feels really cool and I've got to tell you I'm waiting on my copy of the soulmate equation from Romans but I saw this morning on Twitter the artist that did some of their they'd have some fan art and it is the cutest thing I've ever seen and I now cannot wait for my book to come yes there will be other stuff that comes with bombshell and yeah we'll talk more about that closer to the date it's 13 weeks away so Bam. A blink of an eye. Or a thousand years. Who knows? It feels like a thousand years, honestly. But okay, that's that. Let's talk about this instead. This other crazy book. (laughs) Sarah, to not describe. We are reading Anne Stewart's Tangled Lies this week. We announced it a few weeks ago because we wanted you all to get a chance to go to your libraries or your local used bookstores, you know, dig into your, you know, grandma's attic boxes, whatever, whatever works for you. If anybody out there, like, works for Harlequin, like, do you need us to let you know when you need to digitize one of these in advance? Can you... (laughs) Can you just quickly, like, just get it up and running? Because <laughs> it's available in audio. Jen, did you read it in audio? I did not. We've been talking about doing this book for a long time. Yeah. And at some point, like a while ago, I actually ordered a copy. And the one I ended up getting, and I'm sure I ordered it from Amazon or Thrift Books or whatever, is I have the one that's branded the Harlequin Famous First Collection. Uh-huh. 
Which Why was, is it a first? It was it her no, first? No, listen, check this out. This is a, okay, so we're gonna talk a little, we're gonna have a little category. Yeah, we're we've talk done here. a little digging, but yeah. I feel like we need Rob Imes to come <laughs> hang out with us. We do. Rob Imes is knows a lot about this. Or these Steve Amadon would also be helpful. Okay, so one of the things that okay, this book was a the was originally a Harlequin intrigue number five in 1984. And then it was really common because, of course, there was no a one way to get p- people to like engage with backlist authors or write authors with a big popular following was then sort of a rebranding. So wait, I'm sorry, repeat yeah. that. 1984. Four. Yeah, it was hard. Okay, because I'm looking at a different list. You keep going. Yeah, Harlequin Intrigue Number Five is what it was. What is the one you're looking at? Okay, so. Then I did not know that Harlequin did this, and I don't know if it was incredibly common, but apparently it was somewhat common. This book is also February 1994, 10 years later, Mm -hmm. Men Made in America number 11. Yeah, so what they would do is, and this, I think they did do this, and here's what they would do. They would ascend, and so my guess is, Sarah said this to me, and I was like, here's my guess. There was one for every state, and this was Hawaii. There is. There are 50 of them. Right? So I'm going to guess, you know. Right. We're poor one out for the territories, I guess. Sure. I know. I was like, sorry, Puerto Rico. I mean, Guam. Fuck. Yeah, right? Like, okay, so we're not going to talk about colonialism right now, but... Here, although, but here's another up. way that it yes that it manifests itself. So my so I was like, my guess is that's totally what that was, and this was I think pretty common. Like they would try and find a way to repackage, like like if you're Ann Stewart, you have a big backlist. How can they get people to engage with it? There was no ebooks in 1994, so they're trying to pump out books with new covers. They're rejacketing them. They're kind of rebranding them, and then the one I have was celebrating Harlequin's 60th anniversary, and this one is called the Harlequin Famous First Collection, and it was ten books by essentially some of their like most uh, so a limited edition 12-book collection featuring some of the first Harlequin books by New York Times best-selling authors of today. And this was back in 2010. So it was her first Harlequin book. That, according to this. Well, I mean, I yeah. have no reason to believe that a Harlequin would be wrong. Right, right. So, and it says... Um, so anyway, it's this was like The Matchmakers by Debbie Maycomer and um, State Secrets by Linda Lale Miller, Uneasy Alliance by Jane Ann Krenz. So I'm looking at her on... Like Fiction so, DB? Okay. Fiction DB, for those of you who don't know, we'll put links in the show notes. There's this uh, website called Fiction DB, and I don't know who runs it, but it is amazing. It's like the IMDB, but for books. But, and it is... Really remarkable because it tracks every, everything's clickable, everything's searchable. It tracks every one of these, like, little sub-collections of categories. I mean, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So, according to Fiction DB, Anne Stewart's, Anne Stewart wrote a book uh, in 1974, which was a gothic. Then, in 1977, she started writing for Candlelight um, Romance. And then she wrote regularly for Candlelight and then according to Fiction DB, she wrote a Harlequin American, Harlequin American Romance number 30, 
1983 called Chain of Love. Okay. And then Tangled Lies is number two in the famous first series, number five in Intrigue, number 11 in Made Made in America. So, I mean, clearly a big enough deal for everyone at Harlequin to think that we... Yeah. um, We wanted it more than once. (laughs) Again... Please just give us the, like, like the Jen and Sarah what, are about to talk about this book. Make it into an ebook hotline. 1-800-CONVERT. <laughs> okay, this book is bananas. Listen, this I mean, book is not just bananas. This book is, like, I was, like, trying. I mean, this book is, like, a banana pudding. This book is like I can't. I can't. There are so many things where I was like, "What is happening?" So many. Okay, so all right. So it makes sense that it started as an intrigue, though, because it begins with this kind of very mysterious. First of all, it begins in like the '60s. Before you do the plot, I'm going to say one thing. Every yeah. time I go back and read an old category romance, I'm like, for sure I have read this fucking thing and yes. it's going to come back to me. That did not really happen here. So you're going to have to tell the story of, like, your first memory of this book? Or do you have... Just- I don't remember. I mean, it just... It's like I was born with this book in me. <laughs> yes. I don't... I don't remember. So, okay. Ann Stewart wrote a book. So I grew up... My My dad was really into, like, old old movies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like many dads. I, I feel like sure. that's a that's a classic dad thing. Um, and he, um, like, and so we were really, he was really into, like, old heist movies and, like, and, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is that Anne Stewart, um, when she was writing, she wrote a lot of intrigue. And she wrote a book called Cat's Paw that was basically a heist book. That sounds familiar. It it surely is connected to one of those like old Grace Kelly movies with the jewels. Sure. Like, anyway, and so I I feel like that is the Ann Stewart book that really like imprinted on me as like okay when I think about Ann Stewart, usually Cat's for a long time it was Cat's Paw that came first, mm-hmm. um, and that came out in 1985. But now, <laughs> as you know. A woman of a certain age who has a romance podcast, whenever anybody says Anne Stewart to me, I'm like, oh, there are two books. One is the one where the lady falls in love with her brother. (laughs) And the other one is the one where, like, the soldier and the nun have a baby together. Sure. (laughs) That's probably the one I read. That's bad, like... And uh, I don't remember the title of that one, but we will put it in show notes because there is a nun on the cover of that Obviously. romance, and it is amazing. I read a lot of nun romances in the mid-80s that say, like, they thought she was a nun, she wasn't a nun, that shit, like... Well, yesterday, we, sure. I did a, I did a, so Adriana Herrera has a new book coming out called One Week to Claim It All. It's a telenovela, like... In book form, book. Yeah. It's a telenovela for Harlequin. Um, so she, on her Instagram Live, on her Instagram, is doing these Instagram Lives with her friends who about soaps. So it's like daytime soaps in America, you know, evening soaps in America, telenovelas from all over the world, Bollywood, K-dramas, whatever you want to talk about. You can go talk to Adriana about like your version of soaps. My brother Mike and I are going to come on and talk about Santa Barbara. 
Yeah, <laughs> both of you together? Yes. I was oh, like, Oh, so fun. I can't wait. I was like, Listen, because I talk about my brother Eric a lot, but brother Mike was my soap opera buddy, and I was like, We are going to be on together. I'm super excited I love about it. it. I it's can't the end wait. of June. Yeah, it's going to be insane. I did one yesterday and I talked about Falcon Crest because Lorenzo Lamas's like hairy chest and like tight swim short swim whatever's very much imprinted on me in a very weird way. <laughs> also, when I was in the fifth grade and I wrote my first romance novel, which was not allowed to be pinned up on the cork board outside of my fifth grade teacher's classroom because it was inappropriate. Yes, Sarah. Yes. So <laughs> proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I've never been invited back to speak either. Hi, I'm the most famous person from Lincoln, Rhode Island. <laughs> Anyway, point is, the main character's name was Lance. So I feel like it wasn't Lance Cumson, which is Lorenzo Lamas's last name in that <laughs> in that show. Whatever, we could do a whole thing. But the point is that last night we were talking about nuns because in Falcon Crest, this like whole thing happens where there's like a sad moment where a woman like kills a rival vineyard owner and then like goes to a sanatorium and then becomes a nun. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then Adriana was saying, oh, like, nuns are a huge thing. Like, everyone goes and becomes a nun in telenovelas. So, apparently in Anstewart's, you know, Anstewart was watching a lot of telenovelas slash soap operas. And possibly Falcon Crest. I'm telling you. Point is, you can go watch, you should go to Adriana's Instagram and watch those, because they're going to be delightful. Show notes, you guys, this week are going to be... There's going to be a recipe for banana what pudding at the end of What am I Fine. even talking about? I don't even know anymore. Well, because how do we get here? How do we get to... <laughs> I don't know. The- oh, Ann Stewart. So she's got this nun book, and then she's got Cat's Paw, and then, ta- I mean, Tangled Lies, which truly, when you describe this book to people, they're like, surely not. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Sarah, I have been reading romance. Talk about it being born in my DNA. And I read this book and was like... Oh, for, listen, we talk about taking the finger. Stop. Whole hand. (laughs) Are you kidding? There's no body left. They took it all. You are an alien in another world now. That's what happened to you. We begin in Cambridge, Massachusetts in the 1960s, which, you know, it seems like a real long time ago, but fine. And there's a man in a pizza shop. Yes. And it's confusing. The beginning was, was, what is happening here? It was really interesting, though, because it felt very much like I could see the Harlequin intrigue part. Like, this was a book, especially, this would have been, if it's, okay, if it's intrigue number five, everyone, chances are very good that this was, like, written, published in month one or two, right? There were maybe probably four per month, is my guess. Month two. There were four, four. Four per month. No, four in August and then one in September. Oh, yeah. But it would have been written before, right? Like, Oh, yeah. They were all writing together. And so she's really leaning into how can I make this seem like something different? And this, to me, feels like a very classic kind of 80s movie start almost, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to go back in time to this, like, dramatic... Well, like, it's going to be a spy movie or yes, something. Yes, exactly. But it's interesting because... Then, like, the beginning happens, so there's a pizza place, and yeah. a guy's going to a pizza place, and he's clearly wealthy, like, mm-hmm. he feels guilty, he's in it, you're in his head, and he feels guilty that he's, like, the rich Harvard kid, and he's, like, hanging around, I don't know, I'm watching a lot of Peaky Blinders right now, like, he's hanging around with a bunch of communists. <laughs> right, like, basically, yeah. <laughs> which is what it feels like, it just feels like, you know, he's, like, there's a communist meeting in his townhouse in Cambridge. It would have been Vietnam, I mean, right, so they would have been yeah. protesters or whatever. Sure. sure, I don't know what they were, but. That's what it feels like. It has that sort of feeling. 
And then, like, he's paying for pizza and he's walking back home and then kaboom. There's an explosion. You know what it made me think of? I was like, if I wonder if the person who wrote Sneakers saw wrote that read this book. Remember? Oh, sneakers. There's what a little fun movie. There's a deep cut, everybody. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, River Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So then, like, this explosion happens and then we are, you know, exploded as readers onto a plane <laughs> with <laughs> Rachel. Right. And her brother has... Was the the young man in Cambridge 15 years earlier, and he has been basically missing ever since. And she was, like, a young teenager then, 12 or 13. She was 12, yeah. And word is that he has reappeared in Kauai and Hawaii. And- On the family compound. There's yes. apparently a family compound. Sure, because they're, like, millionaires. So he's not exactly... It's, a, it's sort of a weird, like... There's a little bit of, like... Romance reasons. Don't worry too much about it. It's fine. Because it feels like, could he really be that missing if he's on the family compound in Hawaii? Right. right. <laughs> and her uncle is... Their uncle is there, too, in Hawaii. Right. Even though she's terrified of flying, she is desperate to see her brother again, and so she's going to get on this plane and she's go reunite with him. terrified of everything, this dummy. She really is. She's she- afraid of the ocean, too. Jellyfish, sharks, piranhas. Barracuda. Like, are there piranhas in the ocean? I don't know. Look, we were all afraid of piranhas in the 80s. Like, we were all afraid of quicksand. It's fine. Okay. So. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm like, what are kids, like, really randomly were we, afraid of was I, afra- I can't remember being afraid of piranhas, but fine. I absolutely was afraid of piranhas. Okay. So, she goes over to Piranha Free Hawaii and ends up on the, on the, on the plane sitting next to a monk. As you do. I asked people on Twitter... What we should call him. the pon- Because on the a very original Harlequin Intrigue cover... He's a he's, friar, isn't he? Yeah, he's down on the bottom. He looks like that friar from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, exactly. Friar Lawrence. So Friar Tuck? No. Yes. That's a different, that's a different friar. The Pondering Padre, we're going to call him. Anyway, <laughs> okay. she says to him, I'm going to see my brother. I haven't seen him in 15 years. And the guy's like, well, that sounds kind of intense. If you need some help or support while you're there... I am a priest and can help you. So, whatever. We get this, like, meeting on the plane, and then It's a different kind of priest than the priest that we've talked about on the podcast before. It is. <laughs> this is this is a legit friar. He's wearing, like, Yeah, like a brown cloth. robe, and yeah, sure, yeah. whatever. And so she shows up. Now, this is where, narratively speaking, it gets really interesting. She shows up, and she's like, Emmett, it's me, your sister... We are together again, <laughs> and I'm not going to say another word for the entire rest of the He's podcast. He's like, what now? He's <laughs> like, hey, what? I have a sister. He doesn't say it quite like that, but you're kind of like, this guy does not know he has a sister. And then it goes off the rails yeah. really fast. Like, and in a great way, but you're sort of like, what is wow. happening? I feel unsafe. <laughs> I would like to tell you something. It is very, okay, there's something interesting, narr- narratively speaking here, our author does a lot of work in a way that is kind of unusual for romance. The man named Aaron Emmett? Yes. Are you going to talk the about man, Yes. I'm going to talk about the man calling himself Emmett Chandler. So it is right very away. clear, oh yeah, from the very first time we meet him, that this is not really Emmett, and we should all stop worrying about the fact that she wants to bone her brother. And it's interesting because I can almost hear the editorial voice in this yes. because it's he, she refers to him as the man call, 
calling himself Emmett Chandler more than once. Yes. And I would have left it, like, in my head, I was like, oh, I would just do it the first, because it's the first sentence of his first POV. Like, it's very clear. But it's clear also that the editor was like, okay, we are going to have (laughs) to make sure. We have to really make sure that people know (laughs) that it's not Emmett Chandler. (laughs) Because, and, but it's true, like, also, like, there's this really fascinating, and you and I, I think, both tagged this, like, she, um, the first time she, like, sees him, she, like, thinks of herself like a bride or something. She knows, she gets, she sees him, she gets into the house, hang on, we're gonna yeah. find, I'm gonna find, there are two moments that I want to read about. Yes. I texted you, actually, this one, because I was like, what is happening? And you weren't there yet. So. I know, and then I was like, wait, stop. But I noticed it, too, because we get that same authorial voice kind of telling us, like, awkward that she didn't realize these metaphor she was using yeah, were kind yeah, of problematic. Yeah. It's so smart. There's there yes. are these moments that just feel totally inappropriate and then it's like Anne Stewart is like, hey, this is hey. inappropriate. Yes. <laughs> and like I've said, this is why I will say this book was fascinating to me because here is the part where you're like, okay, I have an author doing something really like, you know, like I said, taking all the fingers, but She's very aware of it, and she does everything she can to let the reader in on it, too. And I thought it was very interesting, like, just the way that all played out, especially for what is essentially someone's first romance. Like, maybe it was easier to break those rules, right? Here's the thing that we have talked about before, I think, on the podcast, but, like, in the 80s, yeah, it was the Wild West out here in romance. Oh, yeah. Like, there were no rules. Like, it was, nobody was, and I also think right. everybody was amping it up for everyone else. We've yes. talked about this, right. I know. Like, where it was like, Anne Stewart was writing, and Jane Ann Krentz was reading it, and she, the, so then she would write something that was, like, a little mm-hmm. bit wilder, and then, you yeah. know, whoever else was out there writing would, you know, write something else. Iris Johansson would be like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do know, more. And so right. just go around and around. Sandra Brown. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she is changing her clothes or she's unpacking. She just got there, right? So she met him and he was sort of like different than he was, than she remembered. Of course. He was a little more guarded and (laughs) it's frankly probably peeing his pants with like, what? I'm going to get found (laughs) out, right? Right, by this girl, right? So this is the text. Her brother, she echoed to herself, smiling dreamily. She was finally here with her brother, and she had him all to herself. As she moved to unpack the suitcase that Emmett had dumped on the bed, she found herself humming softly and happily under her breath. She felt happier than she ever had in her entire life, she realized. Like a girl on her first date. Like a bride on her honeymoon. Like a woman who just discovered life. She didn't stop to recognize the danger of those comparisons. (laughs) Right? I was, like, <laughs> fascinated by that Amazing. sentence. Right. Right. And also, so here's the deal, everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead to tell you something everybody right now is wondering about, which is how long does this go on? Because, of course, this is, like, my question, right? Like, how long is this going to go on where she is going to be like, oh, awkward, I'm sexually attracted to my brother. And here's the deal. Way longer than you'd think, including up to and including their first kiss. More than one. 
Yes. Although, like, the big one is, like, the like an actual, like, passionate kiss, not just, like, a, there a are peck a bunch on the lips of, like, I mean, but there are a bunch of moments. It's, like, he has a bad dream, and she, like, yes. crawls into bed with him. Yes, like, Sarah. Like, she's, I don't, I, the whole time, and I'm the like, whole this time I was is, like, like, truly wild. Like, yes. You just couldn't, and of course, you all know this because you listen to the podcast, and you, and I say this a lot, but, like, I, whenever I'm reading a book like this, I think to myself, like, how would I do this, right? Like, that's, that's, it's, you know, a, it's part of the job. Right. And I'm like, how would I do this? I, there's no way. There's no way in the year of our Lord, 2021, that I could do this. Okay. I'm going to tell you another thing that I found. Okay. Like, so- I don't think Lorraine Heath could do this. I don't and think anybody I feel can like do it. the right. I feel like Lorraine is one of those people who like she if anybody could pull this off, it's Lorraine. Yeah. Because she like can do that sort of twisty, turny, like mm-hmm. you know, it's fake identity stuff better than anyone. But like, I don't think she would touch it. Listen, <laughs> I don't think anybody should be touching it. Literally, stop touching it, Rachel. Okay. Now <laughs> Here's the other part, though, that I also thought was fascinating. Now, it ends up, of course, it was fascinating, but in ways that, like, immediately I was like, oh, these are clues that these people know what's going on, right? Here's the other thing. You guys, this book uses the word incest. So much! I was just going to say that! 800,000 fucking times! Like, and right? it's like, just, like, just, just regular casually, conversation. Like, <laughs> casual conversation! Right? Like, the uncle is, so the uncle The is uncle like, is delighted by all this. Yeah. Like, what a... Dick, that guy is. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you should have told her to stay at the hotel, like inappropriate and weird that he stings you. And she's like, and he's like, well, she's my sister. What am I, you know, Emmett, the man who calls himself yeah, Emmett? Like, like, I can't kick her out, you know, right? And he's like, the uncle's like, okay, wait, I marked this because I was like, wait, are you actually kidding me right now with this sentence? Yeah, I was oh, literally shocked. I know what right? you're gonna say. Where he is like, uh, I saw the way she was looking at you, and it was. Oh, wait, I don't... She's I, thinking real incesty thoughts or yes. something. Like, it's like, what? And I was like, wait, excuse me? Who just casually brings up incest well, into conversation? And can we also talk about the fact... So, all right, you guys, we're going to spoil this book because... I mean... Sure, there, we have to. Uh, bleh. Right. Also, like, it's out of print. So, if you didn't get it or if you ha- don't have access sure. to it, you don't have... We drove up the price. At some point, somebody on Twitter was like, did you see that it costs $89 for this book now? Like, I don't think that was don't true Don't spend $89 right? on the book. Yeah. Um. So, but the... <laughs> but then there's, like, a moment where she goes to the fryer, right? Yes. And she's like, I'm feeling feelings. Like, I'm feeling, like, pants feelings for this man who is my brother. And the friar is like, honey, don't worry about it. You're definitely not going to be committing a mortal sin by, you know, boning <laughs> the man who calls himself your brother. Like, and literally you're like, I'm so confused. I mean, that was where I figured everything out. I was oh, like, right oh, right there. Exactly. Me too. Right. Because, I mean, like, okay, so spoiler. Skip ahead, I don't know, a minute if you don't want to know. Turns out the friar is the brother, right? So, like, and he's been living, you know, on this island. He's she's been she's been with her brother for you know this entire book, and he's been like 
her kind of kind-hearted guide through right. all of this. Right. So, yeah, so the friar's like, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And again, though, brings up the word incest, and I was like, listen, that's immediately when Wait, I figured can it out. I, can I read to you? I just feel like Please this do. Is, Please There is it. a moment in this book, it is page 179 um, on my in my copy, all right, where... Anne Stewart, like, Okay, look, I have that page marked, so clearly it is one page 179. Anne Stewart takes a pause and is like, let me just recap all the shit that has gone down in this book, and I'm just going to read it, right? Sure. Because it's a lot. She had found, we're in the heroine's POV. She had found her brother, lost her brother, been tormented by the specter of incest, infuriated by being made a fool of, been moon-eyed by an ill-placed attraction, been lied to, suffered the dangers of flying, (laughs) snorkeling, and sunburn, and to top it all off, had almost been horribly raped by a half-drunken playboy she should have known to steer clear of in the first place. And it was all Ben O'Hanlon. He's not Emmett Chandler anymore. It was all Ben O'Hanlon's fault. And when he returned from beating the hell out of Stephen Ames, aforementioned right, monster, rapist, drunken right. playboy, playboy, she would tell him so. And I'm like, oh my God, Ann Stewart, you've packed a lot into 179 pages. Yes, also, I should say, like, it's a glib mention to, of this, like, assault. And the reality is it's a glib mention because it happens in, like... Off-page. It happens off-page in, like, a paragraph. Right. And I mean, she comes back and... Oh. You're just... And and on top of it, it's the 80s, right? So it's a lot of, like, oh, I shouldn't have worn that I dress. I shouldn't have worn that I shouldn't that have done dress. that thing. I shouldn't have, like, danced, like, a, you know, harlot with this man. Like, right. there's a lot of, like... Co- a lot of the languages. Yeah, very blaming. Very early 80s, right? Although, I do appreciate that when she says, like, I shouldn't have worn that dress, I shouldn't have, like, done this thing. Ben He says, says Ben is like, no. Right. A decent man would never have. Knows how to, you know, right, walk away. Harmed, like, yeah, would have resisted you. I mean, whatever. The point is, so we find out, so, so they, like, make, full on, like, make out. And in the middle of it, she has this, like, you know, real moment where she's like, this is terrible. Like, yeah. this is my brother. <laughs> and... She's like, I can't, I can't. And then he's like, no, no. I'm not your brother. It's time for you to know the truth. I'm not your brother. And then he fakes, he comes up with a different identity, which seems... Yeah, but here's the part, again, though, narratively speaking. So he then says, my real name is Jake Adams. I was hired by your uncle because, essentially, he wants to shake this money loose. Your brother There's a giant... Inheritance. inheritance right immediately i knew this was also not his real name because never once in that like little interlude does ann stewart ever refer to him as jake it's always he or him he thinks to himself like what's one more lie yeah before right he identifies himself. and so we she doesn't even bother with this it's like yeah she says this and then Rachel goes and essentially breaks into his room and he's off on one of his walkabouts and, like, finds his passport. And he's really Ben O'Hanlon. Hanlon? Hallinan? I can't remember. And um, he, it's, there's so many. He's there's ben. so many names. Yeah, Ben. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Exactly. Writing a book <laughs> about essentially 60s, um, you know, ex-radicals and what they're doing. And so but he's been in jail Though it's not clear why. Well, it wasn't jail, jail. Remember, he was captured in some by some terrorist organization sure. and had been, you know, whatever. 
then, like, he's been shot in Nicaragua. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's such, like, there's so much 80s hero in here. Like, there really is. Shot in Nicaragua, like, uh, knifed in some other place. Like, right. He's traveled all over the world as a journalist. Right. Right. And, you know, and of course, like, this, it goes back to, like, Roman's heroes must be kings, right? Like, yeah. of course he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. Of course he is. Of course <laughs> so. he is. Right? But he also has a hidden meaning that's personal for why he wants to find Which Emmett. is dropped in, I mean, yeah, right good. at the very end. But, like, Emmett was dating one of the, he, you know, the gir- one of the girls who died in the explosion at the very beginning of the was book. Was Ben's sister. So then there's a whole, like, oh, is it a vengeance thing? Is it sister for sister? Is this a vendetta? Right. And, (laughs) I mean, at this point, you're just so shell-shocked by the entire experience. Everything's (laughs) happening. You're like, sure? (laughs) And then, like, then she's, like, trying to get him to feel feelings. I had this moment where I was like, oh, this is, like, I could unpack this one page, three pages from the end of the book, like, for an entire semester. Of Romance University. Yeah. But, like, the... God, somebody start Romance University. <laughs> I think... And this is it, Sarah. <laughs> so, We're doing it. You think that's it? This is Faded Maids. <laughs> We're doing it. Anyway, there's this there's this uh, page at the end of the book where she's like, feel feelings. Yeah. And he's like, if you don't stop talking, I'm going to push you out of this car. <laughs> I know. And she's like, you will not. You're too good a man. You would never push me out of a car. And I'm like, we are three pages. I'm looking at the page count. You know, yeah. the one, the terrible thing about ebooks is you really can't see it, right? Like, you right. can't see how much. Right. But the visual of, like, there are only three pages left, and he wants to throw her out of the car, and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> if you would like to know where my real, like, deep-rooted belief in that, like, men who run hot and cold are secretly in love with you. Read read some of these motherfucking books, right? I mean, there's a part where she's... Okay, so she, like, realizes that, look, he is... He wants his vendetta no matter what. And she can't give up her brother, and he can't let go of the death of his sister. There's no future for them. So she's like, you're gonna take me to the airport in the morning... And he is like, I refuse to take you to the airport, right? He like, I mean, the he, goes, he blows past her to take a swim. To swim in the ocean, right? And she goes out in her white linen suit. And I was like, listen. And then nearly drowns. Like, she's wearing a Victorian gown. Like, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> also, I was like, listen, who flies in white linen? Rachel, My honey, God. you should take your inheritance because you are really very different. Him. <laughs> she's a mess right you will never be able to keep a job <laughs> right right so she like you know and then they like make passionate love but then at the end he's like okay i'll take you to the airport now and it's like wait you just and then he threatens to throw her out of the car on the way to the airport um but then oh here's the thing but that so i'm watching like i'm watching the page count like yeah. just get smaller and smaller i'm like how what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Anne Stewart, too, was watching the page count get smaller <laughs> and smaller. Because in the last four pages of this book, a Boom. lot happens. Ben threatens to throw out of the car. He's like, this is vengeance. This I need to punish your brother. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. beat him up and turn him in. That's his goal. And then they get to the airport. Or, no, they get to the monastery. Yeah. To, like, find the brother. Right. And the brother is, like, in the wind. Like, he's already right. left. Right. Um. But then he's like, well, I guess he's a friar now and a decent dude, so. 
And he gave you a, but- a butterfly as a gift. Like, he leaves Rachel a gift. Every year for her birthday. Which is, a butter- which is two butterflies, which re- to represent Ben. Their and, union. Like, right. To sort of say, like, I bless this union. And then Ben's over it. Yeah, sure. Epilogue. Of <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> I uh, All right, now listen. I feel like we, I have to do a lot. Okay, we kind of blew past this incest thing, but there is a Wait, lot did we? Did we blow past <laughs> I feel like we did because I've got to tell you. Okay, oh, there's so a, much thinking about incest. <laughs> it's unreal. Listen, here's the part I'm going to read to you. Okay, so she, okay, so she starts to recognize, okay, after the, like, excited as a bride or whatever, <laughs> that she is having some real um, inappropriate Pant- feelings. She's having pants feelings. Yeah, and she gets it. She's not a virgin, right? She has an ex-fiance. I'm she had a lover in college. Me there are too. no condoms in this book, FYI. No. This, this is I mean, I feel like we've right. talked about we'll link in show notes too to our conversation about like yeah. safe sex and other right. body autonomy things. Um I just almost said something so gross, even I stopped myself from saying it. So I'm gonna just hold that in. Here's the thing though. So she is, like, really diving into her feelings about, like, right? It's, like, horror but not revulsion, right? She says that, too, multiple times. Like, she's yes. horrified but not revolted. And it's, right. like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> But the rest of us are, like, damn. So here's the part, though, that is really something else. So after she finds out, after he says to her, I'm not your brother, she is furious, right? Because for all of... A lot of reasons, right? Yeah. Her hurt, her anger. She knows it's some sort of scam. She wants to know what it is. And then there's this little gem where I was oh like, I'm going to stop reading right now. And I don't sit know. Sit in your feelings. Sit in my feelings. <laughs> <sighs> One blessed relief in the whole matter. The moment he'd told her he wasn't her brother, that burning, overwhelming attraction died as swiftly as it was born. So much for eternal love, she thought, with a tiny shrug of her shoulders. It hadn't borne up under such intensive duplicity, even if it had withstood the strain of incipient incest. Wow. The moment the words, I'm not your brother, were out, the fires that had threatened to consume her had died into cold, wet ashes, leaving her numb with pain and betrayal. And I was like, mm, I mean, okay. so here's a moment where you think to yourself, like, I get what you're trying to do, Anne yes. Stewart, because you have now there's been a betrayal, right? Like sure. now he's lied to you. And so you have like you can't immediately jump into bed with Jake slash Ben or whoever, right? Right. But but it does strike a strange chord. <laughs> I mean, I've got to tell you, I was like, okay. Look. Okay. It's a lot. I'm going to go make a banana cream pie. So <laughs> can I recommend another book? Sure. On this podcast? Am I allowed? <laughs> of course you are. I think so. So... There is a book, I am sort of an avowed Vicuilin and Penelope Ward fan, mm-hmm. and they have a book called Mr. Moneybags, and I think they're great. They have these, they, all of their ideas are very, like, high concept ideas, mm-hmm. right? And the premise of this book is there's a reporter who is trying, her father, um, well, she, there's, like, a family—there's some, like, family history, like, family drama. It's very soapy. And she's trying to get to the bottom, like, trying to uncover a kind of billionaire—she's trying to, like, 
essentially reveal the underbelly of like this business, this big business. And she's in an, it begins like she gets into an elevator Mm -hmm. and she basically reveals to the bike messenger in the elevator that like she's after this like millionaire, this young, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, hotshot millionaire guy who runs the company and of course the bike messenger in the com- in the is the hot, is the hotshot ceo right and so he like pretends to be a bike messenger while and like dates her as a bike messenger you know while all this is happening and it turns out that there is a possibility that they are half siblings sure so I remember distinctly being in my parents' house in Rhode Island not long ago reading this book, and I got to the part, the revelation, where, like, it was possible that they were half-siblings. And I, like, did that thing where you, like, sit straight up on the couch, and you're like, Okay, on the count of three, say what level of cousins we would have to be for this to be okay. One, two, three. Fifth. Unacceptable oh. no matter what. What? Oh, what now? And so, um, and then I was like, well, now I have to finish, right? Like, I have to figure out, like, what, what's happening. And I'm not going to tell you what happens because, actually, I highly, highly <laughs> recommend this book. I mean, obviously, they are not half-siblings. Sure. But the, but the way it's written is so emotional mm. that you really, like, feel feelings yeah. about it. Like, you're, it's. It feels like, oh, my God, if, like, these two people are really into each other, and if they're half-siblings, like, they can't, like, they yeah, can't right. be together, right. right? And it is so deftly done. And then, and this time while I was reading, um, so while I was reading Tangled Lies, I was like, oh, I wonder if right. by Keelan and Penelope Ward, like, know about right. this. Because yeah, I right. couldn't think, can you think of another one? Flowers in the Attic? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I guess I mean, they could have come from Flowers in the Attic. Right? Like, that's what I was thinking. Because I did. I found myself thinking. Now, in her little author's note in the beginning of this book, she does mention, and it's funny because you are talking about screwball comedies at the beginning, loving a book called, or like a movie called Miss Tatlock's Millions, where the hero pretends to be the hero- heroine's brother for comic and nefarious reasons. But I was like, in 1984, the only... Like, I mean, come on. Flowers in the Attic feels like you have to mention Flowers in the Attic, right? How could that not have been in the ether of that, right? right? I mean, yes. and I guess I guess it feels like, if, so if you're going to try and harness, like, that energy into a romance, yeah. then the question is, how do you do it? And without, Well, it's really interesting, right? right? Because when, I, I mean, in all of the, I mean, like, in incestuous relationships pop up in romance novels all the time in the 80s and 90 and early Mm -hmm. 90s i would i would say like but it's always like a villainous like this is this is proof that these two are villains well it's like back to prisoner of my desire right it's a weird plot sure put i mean setting aside tangled lies like I'm just talking about it, like, even when you set it out as, like, well, these two are the villains of, this is, like, the villain of the story. Right. Like, I feel like Sky, Bertrice Small did this in, I I don't know for sure which book, but, like, or if it was her, but I feel like she did it. I feel like. Prisoner um, of my desire, Sarah. 
Prisoner of this My Desire. Desire. Remember the brother. Okay, oh, yeah. It was really right? into her. Yeah. And then again in, you know, Cressley's. Yes. Cressley's right. remake of Prisoner and of My Desire. And they're like, these women want nothing to do with it. I mean, so I, it is, but that's back to the, like, it's a, it's a villainous part, right? And then there was this old Stella Cameron that I remember where, like, incest was a, was a villainous plot point. Like, it's a weird thing, but I guess V.C. Andrews must have made it a thing. Yeah, I think so. I because can't imagine I where else it came we, from. We don't see it anymore, right? Like, well, okay, we but... see it even in, like, dark romance in indie? Like, I haven't read that. No, I think the way it... I mean, but, like, the stepbrother thing, I mean, that... Yeah, but that's... They're not related. Sure, I mean, it's right. taboo, but, like... But I no. feel like the closest yeah. that I've ever come to it is this Vi Keelan Penelope Ward book where, like, it's an emotional thing. Like, it's like these two people are in love. Right. And, like, suddenly, oh, my God, what if they're related? Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think so. I think it's gone. It feels like that was, like, a I'm, weird. I mean, I'm not willing it back. But no. <laughs> I want to be I want to be no. crystal clear. Don't tweet at me. <laughs> I'm not arguing in favor of this as a plot point. I'm just saying like it was a weird thing where it popped up. It feel the only thing I can think of is flowers in the attic. Very games of Game of Thronesy. I mean like it's clearly a thing in fantasy. <sighs> yeah. Right? And then I think about um what that I so my favorite horror movie, and it's not even really horror, it's just, it's gothic, is Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's uh, Guillermo del Toro, and it's uh, Jessica Chastain, and um, Tom Hiddleston are in it, you know, along with a number of other mm-hmm. people. But they're, they play brother and sister. And, like, there's a kind of clear yeah. past issue here. But, like, it's a really... Um, it's weird because you don't ever think of it as being sexy. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, well, there was that slate, uh, that slate um, article last week, but it was a woman having a threesome with two brothers during quarantine because they were all roommates, and she was like, "Now the quarantine's over. My boyfriend doesn't want to do it anymore." <laughs> and but there's, she's like, "There's no contact between the brothers, right?" But I do think that this is like a. I, I really feel like this plot is of a time, and that time was post-Flowers in the Attic. That's all I have to say about I mean, that. I also think Anne Stewart is sort of a legend for taking a plot like this and making it a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there are there are few of us in the industry who are so well-versed in <laughs> really upending everything that you thought was possible in romance. Can I, can I say something, though? Again, now, this is, romance has changed, and we've changed as readers. But I, I found that reading it now, and, I, you know, I can't say what it was like to read it then. One of the things that strikes me is that we get a lot of backstory for Emmett. We get a lot of Emmett slash Ben, right? A lot of explanation about where he's been and what he's been up to that he has found himself in this situation. She's a pretty underdeveloped character. Oh, yeah. At one point, about 150 pages in, I was like, does she have a job? Like, yes. What does she do? Especially she- because what's fascinating about it is that we had come off of our contemporary you know, when we did that contemporary, the category romance interstitial with Steve, yes. we talked about those early books, and we talked about, you know, in that interstitial, again, links and show notes, um, 
we talked about the number ones, right? Like yes. all the, you know, a couple of the number ones of the Harlequin line. And um, all those heroines had cool jobs. Like they were put together. They had a whole plan. They were not afraid of flying. Like yeah. they were not afraid of the ocean. Right. Right. And that's it. She's, she's a very s- strange character. And it's yeah, she's school. so like insulated. She really interestingly looking at fiction db and discovering that Anne stewart's first book so this was you know her like fifth book say or mm-hmm. sixth right. book um and when you're writing categories it's it's not quite the same as being the fifth book you know over five years like this was her fifth book in like a year um it doesn't surprise me that she started with gothic because it does sort of have that feel of like an old gothic heroine who like yes. has been insulated and like you know doesn't really have any sense of the way the world works. And then he's sort of a beautiful little fool kind of, you know, you can hear him sort of saying like, oh, you know, he's very like Rhett Butlery, you know, like you're, you're stupid. I want to throw you out of a car. Like, right. So like, it's, it is one of those moments where I, I feel like we need to kind of explain why, why we're reading this book. Like, obviously you all are Fated Mates listeners. And like, we read this book because. Why not? It's, it's a very bright banana. Right. Right. But I think that I wouldn't ever hold this book up as, like, this is what contemporary romance was doing in the 80s. Because I'm not actually sure what this book is doing. Like, I think this book is, like, a pure fever dream. Yes, I would agree. You know, it's funny. I was thinking the same thing, that this book is, like, a fever dream. What I see in this book is concept overrides character. And it's not super satisfying. And I feel like I see that happening now sometimes. So I don't know that I would say concept overrides character here. So, okay. I think that what's happening in this book is we are so deep in her neuroses. Like, she is... Maybe. It's just page after page of her, like, spiraling about her feelings about this man. right? Right. It's almost too much her. I feel like, you know, you talk about skin suit. Yeah. This oh, yeah. book felt like a skin suit to me, even though it was in the third person. Like, sure. I feel like I was wearing Rachel, but I don't feel like Rachel was complex. And like, right. she was so hyper-focused on like getting to her brother, being in love with her yes. brother, feeling feelings for her brother, like that yeah. it almost like, it just felt like there was nothing else in that suit. Well, there right? wasn't. Honestly, there wasn't. Like you said, we don't have any idea about her job, so I her guess friends. To that end, yeah, she never talks to another person except for the friar. This is the classic 80s isolated Yeah, heroine. she's so isolated. But then, like, we hear from, like, the uncle that she's refused the inheritance because it was, mm-hmm. it could have gone to her, and she, like, refused. But it's unclear. Like, we never get a sense from her of why. Right. But then at the same time, it's not like we ever see him either. We're wearing, like, the two of them having their feelings. Yeah. And it really does feel, it's like the, it's like a primordial Charlotte Stein book, but Charlotte does it, like, Charlotte evolves it to, like, a level of, like, intense emotion that is not here. Right. And I do think, here's what I will say, like, I do think that sometimes, like, that's what these books in the 80s were doing, right? Like, they were taking Mm -hmm. one kind of, like, 
thought and really unpacking it into, so maybe you're right, concept over. See, you got, I mean. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't, I just think like the problem isn't that it was like too much concept. The problem for me was that it was like too much Rachel without there being enough Rachel. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. There wasn't enough Rachel to fill the book. Yeah, well, but I mean, I feel like this, so it's like a really weird thing, and it's hard exactly to name, but I feel like there's this way in which, you know, okay, this book worked for me because it was so effing bananas. I was like, I got to keep reading and find out what's happening. I think that's a piece of it, right? Like, the plot is so wild that you sort of forget. I I see what you're saying. So you're saying, like, now we are struggling with, like, too much Rachel, yeah, but I would argue that like often in the books that we're seeing now, where it's too much of like one character's singular thought, which I agree, sometimes we see a lot of that here now in contemporary. Mm-hmm. But there's no wild plot laid down over it. Yeah, I mean that's it exactly. Except it's just... for in dark, ro- like I would say, dark romance. We and our interstitial for dark yes. romance is recorded, and it just needs it's coming. Yeah. It's coming in June, um, but the. Interestingly, this is the feeling of those dark romance books, like, where you're just so deep inside their, like, singular thoughts. Right. Right. And the plot is really wild. So, yeah, it's like the book worked for me because the wild plot carries me along because there's not—Rachel's kind of empty, right? But I feel like this is the thing where I'm like, it's so tricky in contemporary romance right now where we're getting— But I— Yeah, I don't know. I also feel like what we're seeing here, too, is just, like, how far romantic suspense has come. Well, that's the other thing. Because, I mean, like, the other week we read Adriana Anderson's Whiteout, right? Sure. Which is terrific romantic suspense. And in this book, I feel like we get plot at the very beginning, the romantic suspense plot, right? We get it at the very beginning, and then we get it at the very end. And then it's them sitting around in this house in Hawaii, like, thinking Thinking about their feelings. yeah. You know, going and and the other thing that's also really interesting in terms of like we've talked about head hopping, their point of view changes happen paragraph by paragraph, sentence by sentence I mean, in this well, book. Welcome to the eighties, right? Yeah, welcome to the eighties. But it is also really interesting. Like we talk a lot about like why is this scene in this point of view, and there are entire scenes in this book where I'm like, like for this this attempted rape, yeah, the assault, yeah, should we should have seen it? Also, we like seen it. We don't. We should have seen it, yeah. I kind of wanted her, him to, like, turn up, too, there. I feel like in this case, this is something you see a lot in categories now still. Yeah. Where they're mm-hmm. so bound by the page by count. Page limit. That, right. like, and, you know, for those of you who are listening who don't, you know, fully understand, when we're talking about the category romances, you know, they really have to do, they have to do all this work in, like, 225 pages. Right. When I write a book, I don't have a page limit. Like, I can just go until the story's done. And so um, here you can see the pacing of it is very much, like, by the end, she's clearly up against it. She knows she's got to finish the book. What was interesting to me about this book is thinking about this as, like, being, okay, this is a foundational category. Even Harlequin thinks so, right? We're going to put out... You know, and who knows how they decided, but these are authors who really formed the genre for a lot of us. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, like, right, even if you've never read Anne Stewart, you've seen the fingerprints of Anne Stewart all over things you've read. Mm -hmm. Especially in romantic suspense, like, because what she's doing, because Anne Stewart, her hallmark are these, like, 
really wild ideas. Mm-hmm. You can see them in modern romance, romantic suspense too. Even, I also just want to say, can I just say, add yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of conversation in romance about like, oh, well, I've never read Anne Stewart, so I couldn't possibly be writing like her. And it's like, that's sort of not how it works. How it works is right. Anne Stewart's fingerprints are on somebody else's you know, are on so yeah, many books that then those books' fingerprints are on so many books. And then, and it of sort of, course. it goes from there. Like, you don't have to have read Anne Stewart to be able to write romantic suspense. In fact, arguably, like, this book is not going to teach you how to do it. No, of course not. Jen and I are never saying, like, you must read this book in order to no. understand. But I think it's interesting to think about, like, what has changed or where the influence is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, th- the thing I keep thinking about is, when you get really insular heroines, especially in their own heads and contemporary romance, which is more and more common, there's no hero point of view, but there's no bananas plot to carry you along. Or it's yeah. and again, people have to write what they want, but I'm just telling you, I read I read contemporary romance now, and I'm just bored. I'm sorry. I'm just bored a lot of the time. I think that this is really interesting because I do I think. Well, Jen, I mean, frankly, I think I've made a good point. (laughs) I mean, about dark. I do think, like, the closest thing to this now are these dark romances because the plot plus the character, the deep character. Yes. I I see what you're saying about, you know, modern contemporaries. I think that what we are struggling with in romance right now is there's, like, a growing pain going on right now. And Mm -hmm. I think that there is a big push-pull. I saw your Twitter thread this week. About paratext. About paratext. But also about, um, you know, what you get into. And this, I mean, paratext is, you were talking a lot about covers, but I think um, for writers and for publishing, like traditional publishing, there is a lot of push-pull right now about like where romance-adjacent books should live, right? Yeah. And I think this is about business, too. Like, I think the books that you're talking about, the sort of trade cartoony covers are designed, they're literally physically designed for readers who are not romance readers. They're designed to draw in readers who, you know, have never picked up a romance novel because Mm -hmm. they've been conditioned to believe that those are cheap, poorly written books, right? Right. So, and I think that what's happening is we're all in our own heads about these books. Like, I think the writers feel like, well, if I'm going to be in trade, do I have to write differently? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, this I'm overgeneralizing because I don't think this is true of everything, of everybody. But, like, right. I think it's sort of, you know, you just have to look at somebody like Tessa Bailey, right, who is writing the same books. Right. Just they're coming out in a different trim size, Right. And with a different cover versus like some other people who I think are are struggling. They're like, well, I thought I was writing a mass market sure. paperback, but I'm clearly not. You know, my publisher is putting it out in this different way. Do I have to write differently? And I think the answer is no. You don't. I mean, you don't. I think readers are having to relearn how to buy books. I think publishers are trying really hard to figure out like how to sell more books and how to find more market. Um, I think that writers are having, and this 
the reality is like all writers are special snowflakes in a certain way. And like Mm -hmm. we get in our own heads and sort of say like, well, if the market is telling me that books have to be rom-coms, like, do I have to try to write funny? Right. And the answer is no, Mm. don't try whatever you do. Don't try to write funny because if you're not funny, (laughs) it won't work. Right. But do you see what what I'm saying is like, I think I don't think you're wrong, but I do think like the whole industry is putting expectation. I think, Everybody's feeling at sea about like mm-hmm. this new way of thinking about romance. And, you know, you and I have been talking about like, well, what's romance? What's romantic fiction? Mm-hmm. And I think writers are sort of, we're all having to, there is a fracture happening, or not a fracture, but there's a a split happening where there is still sort of romance, but now there is this romantic fiction piece. And I think that's good for the genre, ultimately. I just think right now we're all kind of, you know, trying to find our balance. Yeah, right, figuring it out. Well, and somebody was like, what do you mean when you mean romantic fiction? And I was like, I guess I mean, like, what we've been calling women's fiction, which I've always really struggled with as, like, a term. But it, to me, means, like, there's a an HEA, there's a romantic subplot, but it's not the main plot of the book. I don't think it's women's fiction, though. I think it's Chicklet back. Mm. And, you know, when Chicklet yeah. happened in the late 90s, early aughts, and it was, you know, heralded by Helen Fielding and Bridget Jones, right? Mm-hmm. And then there were, I mean, it was that book was the book that launched a thousand, like, Bridget Joneses. And right. we loved, th- those books were so popular, they looked a lot like these books. Yeah, they did. And they all had an HEA. But they were Mm -hmm. the heroine's journey, right? Like, she was the, without, for example, and many of you have seen Bridget Jones, so I can sort of do this, but, like, Bridget Jones exists with or without Mark Darcy and Daniel, whatever his name is. Like, she, the book has, I mean, they're just, you know, men in suits who, like, wander in. And I think that's what's happening here. There's an HEA at the end. Whereas women's fiction, I sort of, some of it has HEA, some of it is... I see. Okay. I still think romantic fiction has that happily ever after. I just think it's a different right. beast, right? And that's great if that's what people want to read. I think maybe it's like we're talking about lack of marketing, clear, lack of clarity around what yeah, you're buying. I, the, I mean, who the, knows? I think publishing hasn't quite figured it out. Yeah. I read a really... Um, vulture, one of Vulture's TV critics, her name is Angelica Jade Bastian, wrote... A, a thread about TV. This is a couple weeks ago, or who knows? And she, where she said, like, where are the interesting failures? Right? And she was talking about TV, and I was like, this is kind of how I feel about romance. Is it feels like? And you know what? Again, people like love the books you love. It's fine, but I feel like we're at this point where there's so much like there's so many like safety valves built into every story. That nothing feels like falling in love is risky, and that there none of those books yeah. have that. Well, first of all, I want to say we're definitely talking about traditional publishing and not indie publishing because I think indies a hundred percent. Here's what I will say: if you want to know, if you want to go read some books Absolutely. that know exactly what they are and who their audience is, like indie romance, one knows their shit. knows what like, it's doing. It is yes. You, I mean, they don't they don't mess around over there. Um, but also, you know, the other, uh, that Donald Glover 
thread or low it wasn't yes. a thread because he clearly he needs somebody needs hello someone teach donald glover how to use twitter i'll talk to janine okay so um no because he said that really interesting thing which was like we're all afraid to try something that is different because we're afraid we're going to get canceled like literally canceled by our distributors like by our production and imagine this book now no it would never get published right of course not and so the and i think that's what's happening i think there's so we are living in this age where there is so much good media right like we can go watch great television we can go watch great movies mm-hmm. now in the pandemic we can watch them in our house we don't have to go to a movie theater to see good movies right. and new movies right um books are and publishing is struggling right like there used to be a time when we were younger where it would be like well you watched what was on tv and if you didn't want to watch what was on tv you read a book right but now i can watch peaky blinders every day of my life and never pick up a book sure so i think that the struggle is that we are everybody's trying to write directly to like the the middle because there's fear yeah. that, like, if you try something new and it flops, no one's ever going to come back. Right. Then you're done. Versus right. last time, sure. like, 20 years ago. In sure. 1984, Anne Stewart tried incest rumors. And people were like, great, give us some And more. then people were like, give me cat's paw. You know, like... And Harlequin's like, let's republish this every um, decade yeah. in the 90s and the 2000s. Right? And I mean, head category romance readers were like, where's my next Anne Stewart book? Right? So even if they hated Tangled Lies, they came back for the next one. But I think, I guess the part I'm sort of struggling with is, and this is just like yeah, yeah, mean yeah. trying to make sense of the world, is it feels like in other mediums, the answer is like going bigger. Right? Like, we're going to go bigger. We're going to, like, right? Like, we're going to make even more over-the-top yes. things happen. And in romance, it feels like our response right now in traditionally published romance is to go smaller, softer, softer. softer. I mean, it is softer, but right? S- I don't, I don't know that sure. it's smaller. I think right. it's softer, and I, you know, that's not that's not how I write, right? Like, I, I think there are a sure. lot of us who don't who don't write that way, and who are thinking this, like, thinking like, is there space for us mm-hmm. still? Like, because it does right. sort of feel like all the books that are you know that people are excited about seem to be soft. And that's not a criti- like that's not a criticism for me. Like I think there are some really beautiful no. soft romances out there. Sure. You know, it's funny because right, I'm it's 13 weeks till till bombshell and, and I'm doing this like kind of gentle, like I wrote I've written 13 romance novels between now and bombshell. So somebody, some awesome person online like made a reading, whatever. And yeah, it's really so cute. I was yeah. like, oh well, on Instagram I can do like every week I'll like tell some stories and answer some questions about each book. And um, the first book was Nine Rules to Break When Romancing a Rake. And there is a character in that book who is the heroine's brother who, like, is the person I get asked about all the time. Like, when is his book? When is his book? And his book is not coming. And the reason why it's not coming is because he is a very decent, good person who, like, is, like, steadfast (laughs) and kind and a good brother. And, like, he is just, he's a stand-up dude. And, like, I just... Sarah McLean is not going to write that book. Someone else yeah. could, somebody else is writing that book for sure, but like, I'm not going to do sure. it. 
And right. but I see like people cl- are clamoring for that soft right. look, and they're not going to get it from me, but they are going to get it from a lot of other people, right? So right. I'm not worried. Hey, everybody, I'm not worried about you. Like, sure, finding you're going to find right. a lot of so- you're going to find a lot of soft romances, and they're going to be beautiful. I just think. I think it has something, you know, we talk all the time about romance reflecting the world and like we've been right. through it. And I think some of, I do think there is something to be said for the rise of these like softer contemporaries alongside the rise of dark, like wild stuff in indie. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's like a really, I don't know if we'll ever be able to tease that out but because those dark romances don't, won't sell to like the widest audience possible. And that's what publishing is having to do now. They're trying to, publishing is having to like scoop up as many people as they can. Right. I don't know. I think, you know what, again, like maybe this will get me in trouble and I'm in, you know, shields are down is what I say when I'm in this mood. Like you, I said smaller and you said softer and I get why, but I do think there's ways in which romance is making itself smaller and I don't like it. I don't like the way that, like, we are, like, slowly but surely eliminating sex from our books. I don't like the way that we are surely, like, slowly but surely eliminating, like, hero point of view from a lot of these books. And you know what? Like, it's fine. Like, write your book. But I'm just saying, like, I feel like there are ways in which we are making ourselves smaller in the ways that I do women are want to do in times of struggle and crisis. I will say that the sex thing upsets me because it feels like we're embarrassed of ourselves again. Right? Yep. It feels like when I started writing romance in 2009, I remember sitting with a very, very well-known romance novelist who you've all heard of, And her saying to me, we don't talk about sex to the media. And Mm. me thinking at the age of 29 or however old I was, like, that's bullshit. Like, I'm a woman in the world. Like, men talk about sex to the media. I'm going to do it too, right? Yeah. And I think I came up with a lot of other writers who also wanted to have that conversation. Like, I think about, like, Alicia mm-hmm. Rye and, um, you know, Andy Christopher and a lot of people who, like, very proudly talk about putting sex in their books. Yeah. And it was one of those moments where I felt, like I can remember, like, really feeling like, oh, we're making a change. Like, we're putting a stake in the ground and saying, like, romance includes sex. It's about sex positivity. You can't, like, you can't take that from us. And now it does feel like these books that have, I think you're right. Like, Like I said, I think a lot of people are in their heads about what it means to be in trade with a illustrated cover. Yeah. And I think some people don't want to write sex, and that's fine. That has always been the case in romance. Sure. Um, of course. But I think a lot of people are pulling their punch because they're afraid, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not—and I want to say, like, I'm not talking here about, like, friends to lovers or people that are asexual or, like, like I'm, I'm saying, like, in a— And nobody's thinking that about what you're saying. I mean, I so what so. I'm saying is, like, there was, there was a heartbeat of time in the last yeah. decade— where we weren't ashamed of it. Yeah. And then, and now it's starting to feel like the publishers too are a little ashamed of it. Right? Yeah. 
That's how it feels to me. I hate it. I hate that a lot. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Is that because is that because we spent four years like with with being like Or this is just natural ebb and flow and I don't like that we're in a back what feels like a backslide, but I'll look back later and be like, oh, that was nothing. I'm not sure. I don't know. It really does feel a little bit like it feels like we're making ourselves smaller. Women like grab them by the pussy. You can do whatever you want to them. They want like that sort of it feels like that mentality made us feel bad about sex like in some way. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's rooted in something that's like deeply respectful as we really think about how we are re learning and understanding like new frontiers of how we think about gender and our bodies like maybe this is just like a natural realignment you know who knows but I also want to say like I in a romance between adult people who have intense chemistry and that's like sexual chemistry I as a person in the world like to see us embracing that like that's a part of that relationship for these people in that book and more and more it's like real tepid And it feels like it's saying something about kind of who we are now, and I just haven't figured that out yet. But for me, the concern always is, like, are we we making ourselves smaller? Is there, like, more and more attacks on our bodily autonomy? Uh, uh, Not, like, anyone who's marginalized, like, right, the attacks on transgender people all across our country, on women's rights, um, right, on anybody who wants to have an abortion, on people, right? Like, is this a way that we're like, okay, but if we just make ourselves smaller, will you stop taking these things away from us? I don't know. I don't like how it feels. And I don't know what that has to do with this book, but I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Well, I mean, because I think this heroine is I think it's a good it's a good example of like a her- this heroine yeah. feels small. Yeah. Yeah. She's and and I would say in that sense I you know, reading this now I didn't really find this to be a super believable HEA, right? I mean, and that's fine. You know, well, I just threatens to throw her out of the car like 3 minutes before that. Sure, like a page before, <laughs> right? But again, romance hero blowing hot and cold and I'm like god he really loves her but that's what I thought then that's not how it feels now but you know I just feel like this question of like who who am I like right who am I on the world who am I and these for these care these characters it's like who are they in the world who are they and I just I don't know it was an interesting book Everything gets eclipsed by like the incest plot. <laughs> Maybe that's fine and appropriate. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I mean, I. Mm, I don't know. I do want people to know that I think that we might be doing this because we're embarrassed of ourselves, and I want us to interrogate that embarrassment. Like, are we embarrassed of liking sex? Are we? Em- embarrassed of being public about sex. I I mean, like, I just keep coming back to politics, right? And that is because I truly believe that there is not one single thing that happens in romance that isn't political. I absolutely really believe that. Right. And I appreciate that, like, people roll their eyes at me when I say that. But I... I absolutely believe it. I really feel that way. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the world and with, you know, all the, uh, we're really like down the rabbit hole here, but like 
you know, I'm trying to raise a daughter in the world, right? Like, and I want her yeah. to be proud of her body. And like, I want her to feel like sex is normal and not weird. Well, we're also, it feels like, you know, platforms across the world are shutting down access to any sort of sexual content. Facebook. Calling it, right? Facebook is, so we, I have a book club on Facebook. It's, um, you can go to it. It's facebook.com slash group slash OSRBC. Um, and multiple times a week now, I'm getting flagged as the owner of this group for banned content. And it's like, yeah, it's sexual content in the sense that like it's it's phrases that people say. Right. But it's also like we're we're adults talking about things adults do. Also, like nobody's banning the violent content from Facebook. Well, and that's the part, right? But it's like deplatforming sex everywhere on the internet. And it started with Tumblr and it's like kind of having these really long tentacles. That's the part where I'm like, is this what we're doing? We're like, okay, we'll just take it out first. Just let romance happen. But I don't know, like as adults in the world who want to explore something adults are doing with other adults. Yep. I feel like I'm a little worried. It feels like we're making ourselves smaller because we're already a big target. And maybe that's a you know, smart thing, but it doesn't yeah, feel Yeah, I mean, right. I do think that there's the other piece, which is we've always been a target. For a long time, we lived kind of in the shadows, right? Romance yeah. lived in the shadows. It was, mm-hmm. you know, really subversive because of that. Um, and then we started getting more and more attention, you know, and now we are getting more and more attention. Like, you know... I think about like Emily Henry and Christina Lauren and Jasmine Guillory and Sally Thorne, Stacey and Abrams, Stacey Abrams, and um, you know all these people who are kind of break Helen Hoeing, like breaking out into the next the right. Julia Quinn, right? Like moving kind of right. out into the world, and it feels like now that that's happening, the there's more at stake. Yeah. So, like, before it was just like, oh, if somebody stumbles upon a romance novel and they discover that there's sex in there, then, oh, well. But now it's like, well, I mean, if the Bridgertons are, like, what everybody's reading, like, should we be thinking about the fact that there's sex on the page, you know? And I think the answer, like, clearly is no, because 82 million households loved that scene where he gave her cunnilingus on the stairs, right? Like, sure. I mean, I assume I really love that scene. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I think, like, there's, we're, this is all, it's, you know, society, right? Patriarchy's a hell of a drug. Yeah. Right. Right. It is. So, I don't know. Get out there and enjoy your sex books, you guys. We enjoy ours. We don't support, you know, weird incest. <laughs> he was never he was her not, brother. No. Look, once the friar said it was okay, I was like, all right, well. <laughs> well, you know, the friar was her brother. Oh, so. complicated. It's a lot going on. All right. Um, this is Fate of Mates. I'm Sarah with my friend Jen. I'm Jen. We, I don't know where we ended up, but that's where I'm, fe- I'm in my feelings. I know. Sorry. This, that took a turn. That episode took a turn. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, you know what though? I think I'll just say this. I, the reason we are friends is because you and I both think about romance all the time. All the time. And a lot of the conversations we actually have with each other don't appear on the podcast because this is a pretty firmly, uh, like we love romance podcast. 
But then like sometimes my anxiety about what that means for the future of romance is going to bubble up to the surface. And it did with this here 40 year old book. And yeah. Anyway, we do love romance and I think we're on the record. I don't think anybody's going to be like, but Jen and Sarah, they really don't like those books. (laughs) You know what? It's like, I love it. And I just, I don't, I want us to be brave and bold. That's all. Jen, our next read is (gasps) lead. I love that one so much, but we don't know when it's going to be. I really do too. It's just like, sit tight. It's not going to be for the next couple of weeks. I don't think. Um, No, we have a lot of guests in a row. So pour one out, or not pour one out. We have many, many guests. So, like, send your good thoughts to Eric, who's going to have to, you know, who's doing a lot of work these days. Um, We are Faded Mates. You can find us at fadedmates.net, where you can find all the music from the podcast. You can find show notes, which are brilliant and written by Jen. You can find um, links to Best Friend Kelly's Romance Sticker of the Month Club. If you put Faded Mates in the comment section when you check out for the Romance Sticker of the Month Club, you'll get a special shiny faded meat sticker you can find gear at jordan denae in fact i haven't even shown jen but there's something new that's about to go up on the jordan denae shop um you can find links to jen and i everywhere um i have a book coming out august 24th it's called bombshell thank you in advance for supporting us and me and uh We hope you read a great book this week, you guys. Tell us about it on Have a great week, everybody.